Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time for Mortgage Matters. Good morning, everyone. All right. How we doing? We're doing great. All right. Good to hear. Glad to know it. Well, everybody, it feels like a, it's just kind of a gloomy day out there, so you should probably just grab another cup of coffee and that lap blanket on and just stay put for another couple hours. Maybe the sun will come out after the show today. Just kind of cozying up to the radio and listen to the Mortgage Matters show. Maybe a little cup of hot chocolate this morning. Sounds amazing. There it is. I would if I was at home. Yeah, if it were like 20 years ago, you could build a fire. Instead, you can just click on your gas. um, (laughs) (laughs) Gas Yeah, one of those monitors that's got a fire going on. Right, your fake fire? Turn that on. So I'm still just, uh, I was listening to Motor Mouths on my way in today, and I'm, I'm just sitting here still just thinking about the mm-hmm. the implications of uh, 68 cents a gas tax is coming on the crazy? first year. Yeah. 68 cents. I'm so unimpressed. Yeah. I, I, I guess That's like a 20% to... tax. Yeah. What's <laughs> what's that going towards? It's clean air. Clean air. It's from uh, the Schwarzenegger. Like the idea it's is the gas purchasing deterrent tax. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. simply you're going to consume less now that it's <laughs> officially costs an arm and a leg. Wow. To buy gas, but yeah. that's pretty wild. I'm not yeah, happy about no, that. No, I think we need to go. There is a thing online where you can go sign up and uh, try to get the thing repealed. I mean, I like clean air. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm all for that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, that just seems crazy to me. I, yeah. It Why don't they just make electric cars that look cool and then people will buy them and we can quit messing around with gas? Electric cars that look cool. I mean, I don't understand why we so have to make identify the, with your... the fuel efficient or the electric vehicles look like little, I don't know, what do you, weenie cars. They they look dumb. So I don't... <laughs> Tell me how you really well, feel. Yeah, <laughs> That's other... how I really feel. Yeah, the other point is, too, is um, you, you need to be able to go further than... 75 yeah. or 100 miles. I've, I have a couple friends that have got some electric cars mm-hmm. that, is that all it can get go? stuck plugging in yeah. a halfway home from work. And it that's can only not, go 75 or 100 uh, miles. Yeah, it, yeah the range isn't great. Uh, Hybrid's obviously going to get more range. Well, but then more. you have all the battery disposal problems with electric. Sure. You yeah. need to find something else. Um, and the other thing, too, is just as a, a guy that drives a three-quarter ton truck, when one of them little smart cars is like mm-hmm. in front of my car, I feel like it wouldn't feel too terribly smart if we got into like a <laughs> crash that was yeah. three quarter ton steel truck against that um, little smart car little people shell you have yeah and so it's scary that i mean honestly the, those <laughs> things are freaky we have a friend that's a highway yeah. patrol and he says that those little smart cars leave their feet pretty easy and just go for a good tumble the people are well preserved inside but they're um kind of go like a dice down the road and so just that's Have you ever freaky. seen one of those uh, um, test things, crash test things with a smart car? <laughs> yeah, I was going to yeah. say, where's the crumple zone on a smart car? <laughs> I'm not, I don't know there really is one. Um, 
my my brother the paramedic says your best chance of surviving an accident is to have more lug nuts than the guy you hit so anyway i those those things freak me out but we might all have to do that with uh 70 cents a gallon tax coming on i mean let's just call it another buck because you know they'll the the fuel companies are just going to push it right there so so it's another clean buck easy accounting yeah that's pretty crazy that's a big jump and that's going to move inflation right it's going to make everything cost more sure we talk about that on the show quite a bit about how much is related to the simply the cost of fuel whether it's trucking raw materials to the factory to be manufactured or trucking the finished product back or sending it by boat or whatever i mean all these things are generally consuming fuel not to mention the fuel that's used in the process of manufacturing and then we use fuel to go get it and i mean it, yeah the whole way around there's a lot of fuel involved and that's definitely going to impact price the, of goods it's got to be the greatest cost in a head of lettuce the I'm truck sure. ride right i'm sure gotta be so it's just it's got to make things more expensive um but hey yeah maybe it maybe it deters people more more people will be riding bicycles and driving electric cars because they just can't afford five dollar per gallon gas and uh housing wise maybe it'll promote more smart growth rather than the urban sprawl yeah. i think we're already on that path but this will just be more more uh, incentive to I go back infill. I'm going to go back to my default answer about taxes here though. I'm okay with paying taxes, believe me. I I love the roads we drive on, the infrastructure we have, the um, those emergency services that take care of us. Everything that taxes does for me, I I love paying taxes for those reasons. What I don't like is the inefficiency of how the tax money's used. And oftentimes there are these taxes, and we'll see if this proves to be another one, where where does that 69 cents a gallon go? I get that you incented us all to drive less, but who's the <laughs> congressman now with the fancier yacht because we're all paying this? You'll, you'll feel good when you see the half-cent tax sign on the side of the road as they're repairing things. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd the other 68 and a half go? Suddenly, those little uh, <laughs> half-center deals doesn't seem like that big of a pop. Right. 68 cents <laughs> on a uh, $4 purchase seems like a pretty good whack. Hey, we're starting the the phone lines early here. We've already got a call from Travis in San Luis Obispo. Good morning, Travis. Hey, good morning. How you doing? Hey, good. Hey, yeah, you guys are actually just feeling it now. I own a small a dump truck, you know, the semi-dump truck type thing. Mm-hmm. And for the last few years, my truck is a 1998, and they're, it's back in the 70s and 60s, the trucks were really dirty, and they cleaned them a lot up in the 70s. And by the late 90s, I find they're all computer-controlled, and, the, and they're really very clean. But they've, there's some imaginary technology, which doesn't exist, which is called Tier 4 technology. It's not even around yet, but they... Pretty much by 2019, which is only a few years away, they are requiring me to basically gear, sell my truck for scrap and buy a brand new truck for like $200,000. And for a guy that owns one dump truck that would last his entire career, they're trying to make that truck worthless, or they are making that truck worthless and trying to make you buy a new truck, which doesn't make sense financially. Wow. So they, so all the big companies that you know, drive a million miles 
per year. You know, they're replacing trucks every few years anyway, so it's no big deal for the trucking industry to go along with this. And the truck manufacturers were like, oh, okay, you know, everybody's got to buy a new trucks. That's a good idea. But sure. the people like small independent guys don't have any voice, they basically got shafted. Wow. What's the and cutoff so for that? Is it, is, is it compared to, you know, basically they're shutting my business down. Is it just because it's commercial? I mean, what's the cutoff for that? Um, it's the, the gross weight of the vehicle okay. and the age. So even though mine's a 1998 computer-controlled engine that's really clean, it doesn't smoke at all, you know, you can't see smoke, black smoke pouring out of it at all, any, any time. They're, they want you to basically disband that truck and buy a new truck. Now, they will give you a, an incentive to do that. They'll pay like $60,000 for my truck, which is only worth 35000 But you have to go buy a truck that's $150,000. And they require that truck be actually like the engine destroyed. And so how does that environmentally, how does manufacturing being an entire truck, axles, everything, I mean, there's no way in the world my truck would ever produce that much pollution to counteract their, their being needed to uh, be manufacturing entire new chassis and everything. So That's it's crazy. all about money. Man, well, yeah, I'll start stop griping about the gas. <laughs> <then>. <laughs> that's that's really lame. That's disappointing to hear. Yeah, and you know, I've talked to like so many about it. First, he's like all interested, and then he said, "Let me get back to you." And then he never got back to me. But um, you know, these guys just the trucking industry—they wear out trucks every few years. The manufacturers are for it. So the little guy. They don't have any voice, and they just made the rules to accommodate the big companies, which will take over because all these little guys are done. Yeah, how much voice do you get to have where if the big guys are okay with it, then you're just sort of unrepresented. You're not going to make it anywhere. No. That's frustrating. Yeah. Oh, well. Man, all right. All right. Way to bum Thank us you. out on this Saturday. Thanks, Travis. <laughs> That's... Those are frustrating things to hear when common sense seems to uh, not prevail. Well, don't you kind of feel, I mean, even in our industry, a lot of the regulation that's occurred over the last five years has forced a lot of the small um, independent shops to merge or be acquired by the larger, um, the larger banks. And it's funny because we're coming off of this time period of, of excess and, and risk taking and, and too big to fail. You remember that? Um, that term that was thrown mm, around a lot yeah. and, and we wanted to get away from that, right? But it seems like all the regulation that occurred that has occurred since then has really promoted um, bigger companies. And I'm speaking just for our um, financial industry here, but it sounds like you know Travis's experience in, in his field is very similar with, with regulation. It, it kind of pushes the little guy around until they have to just become part of the big guy and make them bigger. Funny you should mention that is I I uh I brought notes today. I wasn't sure if we were ever gonna be able to work this in and now it turns out it'll be <laughs> one of the one of the first things that I refer to today. Uh the American Bankers Association um wrote a little piece recently saying that banks reached a historic milestone in the second quarter here of twenty fourteen, holding more than eight trillion dollars in loans uh for the first time ever. 
That's pretty fascinating, huh? We know that banks have greatly reduced. I mean, if you think about how many banks there were 10 years ago versus how many banks there oh, are today, yeah. it's radically reduced. And we see still further consolidation. There's a few things that I track that just show bank consolidations, but you can feel it here locally. I mean, we've lost a lot of banks. And uh, in the last few years, like maybe since the recession really hit, um, how many new banks have there really been? Not too many. I mean, American Perspective, which was... Um, no, they're gone. They're Umpqua now, yeah, which is a right. regional bank. But they were sort of up and coming around then. And then Founders made a run at the same time. And by the way, I, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. I know nothing about this, but I wouldn't be the least bit surprised to find out that Founders gets purchased by somebody else soon. A fine establishment with a good reputation. Somebody's going to have some real interest in that. Probably... Anyway, so many of the local banks have sort of folded down into these smaller banks. And then even a lot of the bigger banks that used to be around have been consolidated to even bigger banks. And now it sort of feels like um, in in the U.S. There's, there are some pretty big banks, but they're not... Um, they're not any smaller than they used to be. No. Um, Yet there was there was a public cry for for getting away from those those entities that are so big that they can affect the entire financial system. Yeah. Yet here we are going the the opposite direction. And I also think it doesn't hurt that the government had monetary policy for the last few years that incented borrowing and incented low interest rates. It it incents businesses to have the confidence to borrow and banks the liquidity to be able to loan it. So you sort of set the stage. It's not surprising to me that we've that we've loaned out so much money now that the banks have these record assets. But um, it looks like going forward, we should only expect it to grow bigger, though. Um, and in American Bankers Association, not just in terms of mortgages, but in the broader view, say that um, rates are low. And the marketplace is highly competitive, and it's a great time to get financing for most anything you need to finance. Well, we've even we've seen people who who have free and clear homes who've taken loans out on their homes just because the interest rates are low. So that's contributing to this record number of loans out there. You bet. And you know what they did tie into the tail end of this little article here that. Um, I'll just point out, since we do a, a show here about economics and real estate, they said that, um, let's see here, total lending is up $377 billion year over year. Residential mortgage lending remains weak. New regulatory requirements on mortgage lending are not helping and will continue to dampen a key economic driver. Um, that's... A bummer. <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. Mortgages weren't a problem a few years ago. It was just like when rates were so cheap that anybody and everybody that could refi did. That's when the mortgage business was pretty robust, um, and it continues to be something that everybody looks out for. But uh, kind of funny there. No longer the highlight of lending old mortgages. Remember when mortgages were making all of the money for the banks? Now it's like, oh, yeah, those uh, underperforming mortgages. I guess we'll just keep trying to find some. Hey, guys, it's 921. Oh, Jim's over here looking up smart cars. You ready to take the jump now? I know you drive a pretty big car, dude. You're going you're gonna to look silly in one of those. No, I'm not. I'm just trying to find a smart car crash test to show you during the break. 
<laughs> I'm not sure I want to see it, no. honestly. Like I said, no. as a guy that drives a three-quarter ton diesel truck, no. I'm nervous that one of these days, one of those little fun cars is going to, what are they, the snack size or something, is going to run a red light and find me in a bad way. That thing's just uh, a roll a roll cage with some colored <laughs> panels on it. Yeesh. All yeah. right. Jeez. It looks like Jim's going to attempt to entertain us during the break with total destruction. Guys, we'll be back in just a couple minutes for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state. State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. Let me and my staff of mortgage experts help you refinance your home or investment property. Lower your rate, shorten your loan term, or get out of your mortgage insurance. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, welcome back. Jim's showing us wrecks of smart cars now, and... You yeah. know, the only thing I could it's really amazing. think about those cars, like truly, you ever been down in L.A. or something where you're like ripping along on the freeway at 65 miles an hour, surrounded by all big traffic, and then like a motorcycle or a smart car is right there, and you're just thinking, you have a desire to like make life interesting. Because any kind yeah. of wreck, you got nothing. And I, uh, what I end up thinking there is, it's high time we address the traffic and safety issue of those freeways by just making some mm -hmm. of them double-deckers yeah. and just put the motorcycles and smart cars uh, and whoever else wants to be small and vulnerable yeah. in another lane with like a uh, some barricade that keeps semis from being in the same lane as a motorcycle. Yeah, It just seems crazy to me. 
The one I don't get is the motorcyclist going between stopped cars oh, yeah. the, on the freeway. I Splitting think that's totally insane. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. That's freaky stuff, too. <laughs> Um, hey, we, we are going to have Wes Burke on today, which means that we can't do small talk for too long, though it's fun. Um, there are things that we wanted to, to talk about today that will be important to get through. And um, so talking about that gasoline thing, this week was another reminder. Inflation came up several times. Um, it came up because we saw uh, producer prices and also consumer prices. But also, the feds talked again about inflation in their statement that was released on, re- released on Wednesday. Um, so we talk a little bit about that. Um, first of all, I think the one that people care the most about is that consumer price index, the old CPI. My fixed basket of goods. Is, it, is life getting more expensive or not for me in my same shopping cart of goods? Um, minus 0.2%. What do you make of that? It's all about energy. Energy got a little cheaper. Is that what I read? Yeah. I mean, depends on what energy sector you're looking at, but this certainly was headlines this week of energy getting cheaper. Um, but yeah, the, the consumer price index evidently getting a little bit cheaper. Um, and <laughs> the calm before the 68 cent storm. Dude, that's, <laughs> I mean, I'm saying that. That should make the stock market fall when when we start hear that talk actually on the street that that's a real thing that's coming. Yeah, and what's interesting is so now over the last twelve months, consumer prices have gone up one point seven percent, so it's below that two percent target that the Fed's always looking at. That's one of their core principles is to maintain a two percent yep. level of inflation as well as maximizing employment. Yeah. So we found out on the producer side just the day before that the producer side numbers, you know, what it costs for the producer actually to bring the good to market um, was unchanged, flat, really. Um, and yeah, it, energy getting a little bit cheaper. I mean, I did I did see some stuff, too, about oil being cheaper. Um, and generally speaking, because the, the future doesn't look extremely bright in terms of manufacturing and economic growth. So oil is a little bit cheaper. You find out that uh, producer and consumer-wise, really no no change there to talk about. Um, reminding us that inflation is really still nothing to worry about. In fact, if you want to worry about, it, you got to worry that there's not enough inflation. And that's what the Fed is is keeping their eye on. They they are targeting a two percent inflation. Having a little bit of inflation is good. It keeps money circulating throughout the economy. It it. It keeps some incentive to spend and, and and keep cash flowing, which is good for business, good for GDP. And and when it falls below that target, there's concern that people just hang on to their money because they're not in danger of of losing value with that money. So they're they're less inclined to spend it. And so that was one of the key points that was made in the Fed um, the Fed statement that, and in particular the press conference after the Fed. St- um, two-day meeting this week where they, again, cut their um, quantitative easing program. They're on that target to end by um, October, or it actually it actually sounds like it doesn't get implemented till the month after, so November would be when we actually stop spending money on, or new money on bonds, I should say. They're going to continue reinvesting principal 
Um, but no new money will go towards it as of November. And so then the next, the next um, big factor that we're looking at is raising the key interest rate, the Fed funds rate, which has been at zero to a quarter percent for four years, five years, a long time. A really long time. Well, but one of the reasons to raise that rate, though, would be to, um, well, I think it's, in one respect, it's simple. In another, it's kind of complicated. One purpose of the low interest rate is to um, facilitate inflation. If you got good low rate, you're going to cause a little bit of inflation, that loose money supply. Right. Um, so they can't really push them up yet because of that. And then another part of uh, the interest rate part here, it, it relates really well to employment. Um, you got to have strong job growth and I think be more normal in terms of those head of household jobs before you can just start cranking up interest rates. Uh, I'm not so sure this time we might not see the feds go a little bit earlier than they said and, and give a crack at pushing interest rates up a little bit. Um, I think probably main reasons I believe this is how many people in just households around town are wanting to see some higher interest rates because borrowing wise, they're in good shape, but savings and investment wise, they're not making what they planned on making for such a period of time. I mean, when you think about by way of savings, money doubles every seven years. At least that's what they said when I was a kid. Uh, your money didn't double this seven years based on savings that you had. So there's a lot of ba household balance sheets that are coming up short because interest rates are flat. And could this be the healing piece? That point that you make is exactly why I think they will keep rates lower for a little bit longer um, because what you're talking about is people's desire to save money and and have some kind of return on that savings and that's exactly what the Fed doesn't want to see right now they want to see people spending money and creating um, creating profits for companies which will reinvest into you know stockpiling goods and and things like that they want to see the money circulating more and we're already below and we've been below that inflation target so keeping that rate low promotes a little bit of inflation. And I, I think they're going to do that until we start to see some significant change in, the, in the, these consumer price indices. Is it, your, is it your gut feeling? I feel like for me, I, I can't decide where I feel about this. Number one is going back to when the feds announced the tapering of QE3. Back around May or June, they said it was coming maybe towards the end of the year. And the markets overreacted and everything. And, and as I followed the data and I followed it close, close as anybody does, I was walking around in November saying, you know what, with these jobs reports and these inflation numbers and the unemployment rate, there's just no way this is going to happen in December. And then sure enough, and I, I remember going, man, for some people trying to like have some transparency, you all show pulled that one out of the sleeve. That did not seem like a likely time for it to begin. And there's a really good argument to be made that it slowed housing down. Now, whether or not you think that that was a, a, ne a necessity to slow housing down, if it was getting overheated or whatever, I feel like that's another conversation. It had a direct impact to the housing market. So I have a similar thing going on here with interest rates. And when the Fed is going to begin pushing up that um, target interest rate is... First, we were led to believe that it was going to be 
when inflation was around 2%, unemployment rate, I accept that they disconnected now from unemployment. That's not what it's about anymore. But they kicked around this idea that it was probably six months after the completion of QE3. So are we going to get down to, let's just round up for sake of uh, argument here and call it June, and be in a similar place financially as an economy in June and just see those interest rates start to get pushed anyway? Or are they going to continue on this path of leaving interest rates at zero um, for a few more years? Because frankly, I don't see this recovery um, buttoning up here in the next 24 months. No, I agree. The recovery is slow. Um a couple more years? No, I don't. I don't see it taking that long for interest rates to change. In fact, they they came out with some projections that by the end of, or I guess it was the twelve uh, Fed presidents were surveyed, and and the average Fed funds rate, according to those twelve, for the end of twenty fifteen was going to be right around one between one and a quarter, one and a half, and then I think the end of twenty sixteen they said somewhere around two two and a quarter i want to say i'm going off memory here from what so i heard this slow week. but pushing it up which usually happens in quarter percent increments well it means actually that you're... that's that's something that i think is going to be a little different the old fed model was to make more drastic changes do half point three quarter point you know cuts or increases depending on the the economic environment but i think this new fed led by janet yellen is going to be go. more of a slow and steady approach in quarters. I, I think they're going to go in quarters and in which case and maybe take a month off and see how it's working i think they're prepping us for that slow and steady move i thought that's how they were going to bail out of the asset purchasing i thought it would be Let's suck $10 billion out and give it a month and see how the markets react and see what happens to investor sentiment and, and just feel if it creates any kind of a drag on anything pointing to GDP or otherwise. And instead, they came out and said, no, it's not going to be on a systematic cut of a predictable amount, but here we guarantee it's going to be $10 billion a month every month until it's done is what's really happened. Um, and I get that making those little fine tweaks is something that you know is going to have less of a splash in the market which nobody wants to see great volatility created right now by the fed and their movement however are we just going to be able to bank on it that hey every single month when the fed comes out we're going to see at least another eighth or a quarter is i feel like that's the kind of trim tab adjustments they're going to make when they go and when they begin that um, to get to uh, one and a quarter percent from a zero to quarter, so like a whole point change over the course of a year, that means they're going to have to do at least an eighth of a point in eight meetings to get us there. We're gonna, it's gonna feel pretty regularly, like every time they meet up, that that they're cranking rates up a little bit. Um, and you know, I just, I, I'm not convinced that I uh, believe we're ready for that, or that it's necessary yet but um it's all going to depend i mean there's so many different factors and and while the fed is mostly concerned with inflation and employment employment seems to be improving a little bit faster than we're gaining inflation so i feel like that may pressure them into starting to increase before the inflation number says we are but, but then we also job have, numbers weren't great they weren't um and without a real good excuse yet you're you're, you're right and i i guess i'm 
I'm not caught up on my way of thinking. I'm I'm thinking about a month in in arrears where jobs were looking for six months in a row. They were looking good. But the other factor beyond what's you know those two numbers is what's going on overseas. And as long as there continues to be you know rate cuts going on in Europe and stuff like that, I don't think the U.S. can get too far ahead of our economic allies. Um, and and leave them in the dust like that. So I, I, there's so many things that have to factor. We need to start seeing some economic stability in Europe. We need to see you know the two major components here yeah. go in the right way. Oh, and it's before a delicate, 2016, we no doubt we end up in several more wars. What, <laughs> what's going to happen there? Who knows? That's always good for a low uh, rate environment, right? As long as we're talking about <laughs> right, as long as we're talking about jobs, though, this one um, this one makes me grin giddily. I love this. Um, on Thursday, did you catch this headline about initial jobless claims? I didn't, no. On Thursday, initial jobless claims caught a 14-year low. 280,000 initial jobless claims. Wow. So, like, as I was trying to bring everybody, like, to put this into context somehow, for the last couple months, we've been pointing out that somewhere around 300, 295,000 people a week for a fresh unemployment claim that was what one could expect in 2004 2005 um and that seems kind of interesting to to say and and even wrap your head around and now this really cements that theory um and it's not as much a theory these are numbers that you can go find um great secondary data on but to see 280 be a 14 year low think back to that 2000 that's that's a great number that if we can stay there that, that'd be great and it i i think that's where we will stay i, I think the the days of of massive job cuts are over in fact now there was a there was a big story this week that after last year's Christmas time uh, package delivery debacle with UPS not hiring enough uh, holiday staff, they said this year they're hiring fifty thousand um, people to make sure that they are staffed appropriately to get packages to doorsteps on time this um, holiday season. So that's good. There was also. Um, I guess some downbeat news a little bit here. Um, a CEO survey that took place um, said that fewer CEOs expect to hire in the next six months. Obviously, uh, UPS CEO was not part of this survey, but fewer CEOs expect to hire in the next six months. Just 34, about a third of CEOs plan to add jobs, which is down from about 43%. So that's not great. I mean... It's great to see that people aren't losing their jobs. We also want to see people who are looking for jobs, or looking for better jobs, have those opportunities as well. Sure. And um, if if CEOs aren't real optimistic about hiring, that's that that's what's Dan, keeping this recovery so. I'm rolling my slow. eyes at you right now because the CEOs are like out of touch, dude. <laughs> They don't even, they're too busy like out on their Lear jets to even know what sort of personnel staff they need. Um, I Do you can't. have a Learjet? <laughs> Not yet. Aren't you the the CEO, the top dog of of our company? You don't have a Learjet? No, and I do. I do feel like I have my finger on the pulse of employment need for the company. And if you're asking me directly, um, I. I am not planning on adding salaried staff in the next six months in our company either. I would, I don't, exp I mean, talk about that for a second. I mean, I know we got to do a commercial break, but now maybe we'll talk about how we get back. We talk about this on the show all the time. We're talking about jobs and real estate and economics and stuff. 
Um, let's talk about the company. Treading water, feeling like growth is imminent, um, excited about going into this fourth quarter. There's a, We don't talk about that kind of stuff very often, so let's chat about that a little bit. Let's get out of here and do a commercial break. Take some time out to thank the sponsors. We'll be back in a minute for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. Let me and my staff of mortgage experts help you buy your next home. We promise to close on time, on budget, with no surprises. Give Central Coast Lending a call today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. All right, guys, welcome back. Uh, Dan and I had fun conversation. I, I, I kind of got the sense from the expression on his face that maybe this wasn't something to just talk <laughs> about on the radio, but I'm down to talk about it. Um, I'm, I'm checking in on the Dan uh, Business Sentiment Index over here. Um, and, and without... I mean, I don't. There isn't anything you're going to say about our company that somehow is going to make me feel like you're giving the public perception that it's weak and shouldn't no, be. No, no. I think if anything, it's more reflective of the the state of the industry. I feel like business sentiment wise, on a scale of zero to a hundred, we're a solid fifty right now. At least that's where I am personally. I feel like our whole mortgage industry, after the boom, the refi boom that just occurred, has now slowed down to just. 
consistent, steady business, no real future aspirations for booming growth, but no real worries that it's going to fall off a cliff either. Yeah, you're not shriveling and up and dying. So like I told you, my day-to-day swings, which this mortgage business can really can really get you up or down depending on the, roller on the day. It yeah. really lends, um, you know, my emotional roller coaster really dictates what I think about the future. Sure. Well, and I think that's kind of the human condition is you usually expect that um, your current circumstances are what's likely to continue. So when things are going great, you're like, ah, world by the tail, there's no reason to believe otherwise. And you just sort of like walk down that rainbow road when things feel like they're hard and you're, you know, like I, I joke that the mortgage business at times feel like it's like a car with square wheels, you know, it's like, you're just sort of like so hard to get going. If you could imagine all the weight going up onto that point. And then the excitement of here we go, here we go, here we go. Wham! <laughs> Ow, that was terrible. You know, and, and you have no choice, but to keep going to move the thing down the road. Um, I feel oftentimes that that's sort of been the environment that we've been doing business in for years. And, you know, don't get me wrong. The, the super low interest rates that flew around from 2010 to 2012, those were epic and how fun it was. And, um, you know, you use the expression making hay when the sun shines, you bet. And we, we made good hay then. Um, I don't know where the next real opportunity lies. And one of the challenges for a company like ours, and this was the same sentiment that we had from Travis earlier, is that when you're just a little guy with a dream, you know, he's a he's just a dude with a dump truck trying to feed his family. He's not like the... You know, the I don't even I was gonna name some huge like uh, dominant trucking company. Wow, they make <laughs> they, they're stuff. They're more making it. Huh? <laughs> anyway, missed opportunity there on on that. But but point being is then you've battled these regulations where something comes along and for us it's been the chokehold of all the the new Dodd Frank regulation, just making it more expensive. And the sad thing is is that Generally speaking, it makes it more expensive to the consumer. And taking it over to that trucking analogy, the reason that a mom and pa trucker can make any money at doing that is that you're efficient. I mean, you you and I had a conversation on the phone two days ago um, where – and guys, Dan and I are just the co-owners of this company. There are no other people that have ownership stake in it. So, uh, And we're running a company that grosses a couple million bucks a year. I mean, it's a it's a – big deal. I mean, I'm awfully proud of it. It's a great company with high morals and values and our employees love working there and we do right by people. Um, and it's a good enterprise. Um, we were having a conversation about whether or not these 30 and $20 charges from the internet, um, one of the providers we use, if they were legitimate charges or not and trying to rein in on um, is this, are we paying this in vain and do we understand it correctly? The conversation then led to, are we paying for more services than we actually need? And is there an opportunity to reduce the amount of fax pages we get every month to save 10 bucks a month? This is the kind of awesomeness that you get out of a mom and pa company. There ain't nobody at Xerox caring about whether or not they're paying the internet provider that does their email an extra 20 bucks a month. Um, we care about these things and, you know, like the trucker dude, that that's why he makes it more affordable. He's managing all of that. He's not in an outrageous building with 
impressive Super Bowl commercials. He's a little, he's a dude just hunkered down doing an honest job for an honest wage. And that's the person I think we get into a chokehold. And, and that's personally how I feel about all the extra regulation. Don't get me wrong. Um, a lot of the regulation we got, I'm really thankful for. I do think a lot of it makes a lot of sense. Um, in some aspects, I think they just went a little too far and missed the boat. Uh, but I am really grateful that it's not just willy-nilly where it's like, oh, you sold bicycles yesterday? Of course you can um, create a home loan product and create a security to sell to American investment banks. Why not? I'm glad that's gone. Um, and also I'm glad the... 100% negatively amortizing, um, no credit, no income, no asset, just, just like blows my mind to know there was ever a loan like that compared to what we're doing today. I'm glad that the regulation has cleaned that stuff up. Um, so some regulation, a good thing. Uh, regulation that's in our industry has doubled the cost of goods by way of home loan to the consumer. Not a good thing. Don't double the cost to the consumer when we just spent $20 trillion trying to get everybody a lower interest rate. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, that's very kinda, counterproductive. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> it really is. Um, so anyway, my sentiment about the business is that I'm, I feel blessed to have it. It's a work in progress always. I don't, I mean, there isn't a home run on the horizon. I don't see an opportunity where we're going to be like the next IBM. Um, I hope so. I'd, I'd love to be able to have that big of an impact. Um, at the same time, I don't think there's a threat tomorrow. Um, we learn to adapt in the new regulatory environment. We learn to um, make the changes and we carefully monitor the ins and outs of the company to make sure that the the balance sheet is is always in good grounds. Um, but that's the thing, though, is it, it is, and this is sort of when you look out at the bigger test of this whole national economy, the big thing here is that if you consider in your own household, if you're not um, if you're not growing, you're in trouble. I mean that that's kind of the one of the faults I think of capitalism. It doesn't allow a real area for the economy to just have zero GDP, have zero inflation, have zero, um, a net zero job creation where we're just, you're not allowed to just simply find a spot to maintain. You have to push the value of the currency and you have to push the jobs being created. And you have to push the GDP and you have to push the consumer spending and you have to constantly have the feds in there just like, pushing in every direction, try to incent and keep what's healthy working and what's not to a minimal, uh, so much work in capitalism to keep it going. And, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to bash it like there's a better option, but that's just one of the tough things about it. And, um, you know, and the feds, these are the ones that are tasked with making sure to do it correctly. Don't do anything to hamper it. And you got, um, now this talk now about winter interest rates going up and when they do, what's going to happen? Um, the house price affordability index is always something we worry about. And as housing gets more expensive, because it just is, um, with interest rates getting more expensive too, where's the room? Soon people either have to begin making more wages, right? Or else 
real estate has to fall and all of a sudden you're back at where you started from. Uh, a freaky balancing game, and I'm kind of glad I'm not one of the guys that has to decide how to play it. Well, you kind of do, don't you? On a smaller scale. Not for the whole country, though. Right. And arguably for the world. I mean, <laughs> the our, the the... The Federal Open Market Committee is actually, every time they do this, they have to ex just feel the weight of the world on their shoulders using, you know, what word they choose to describe how tepid yeah. something is, is like going to, oh, my God, you just killed the Dow. Way to, way to use that word that, you know, in another dictionary means terrible. So, yeah, so we chomp away. Um, but, you know, I... My business sentiment, yeah, I'd say it's somewhere around 50. And I'm happy to say don't mess with it. <laughs> I don't want to go backwards. I'd love to go forward, but I'll take the the slow and steady right now, just the base hits. No home runs needed. Also don't want to be hit by any pitches. So let me do, let's, just, <laughs> let's just do base hits and, and stay out of the spotlight. Um, this week... Uh, Moriarty Enterprises um, was making some headlines. I'm sure you read about that uh, in yeah, the paper. It's, it's been a, in in the headlines for a while here locally. Yeah, pretty pretty interesting stuff. And yesterday I saw this kind of sports thought got me there. But the um, do you see the scoreboard up at uh, Mustang Stadium is now kind of a point of contention? Yeah, but it it goes. My understanding is that it it. They, it's not as simple as as some might think. You can't just take the name down and and call it a day. Right. There's there's bankruptcy judges involved and, yeah. and things, and it's there's because, a process. And you know what what made me? I was watching uh, yesterday. I was watching on on TV as they discussed it a little bit, and I thought, man, that dude gave like almost seven hundred grand for a scoreboard. And I was like, man, my life's so insignificant. I'm pretty. Sure. I'm pretty sure I'm never giving somebody yeah. 700 grand like for anything, <laughs> especially just to like hang my name up there under the lights. <laughs> I don't. I, I hope so. <laughs> but man, I'm gonna I'm gonna splash in the pan, dude. Just sell your Learjet. No, I think Central Coast Lending will look real good above the. Scoreboard. I think it would look fantastic up there. I'd You're love to see it there. <laughs> I'd love to see it there yeah. for 700 grand. I'm like, I was, I was thinking, would I do that? Would I do that for like 20 grand? Like, my Dan and I would really have to talk about that <laughs> for 20 grand. I'm like, well, you know, they're college kids, and man, most of the time when they're at that game, they're yeah, everybody looks at the scoreboard, they don't really pay attention to whose names on it. And then I started thinking, I've been to a lot of games up there, and I never knew it was Moriarty until I just read it in the newspaper. Well, um, what's funny is if, if ever given the opportunity, we'd be the kind of guys who'd be out there with our ladders yeah, <laughs> and yes. the, the roller thing to stick it up there. Like yeah, We wouldn't hire that so, out. We would do that. You want 40 grand for it, but if we go roll it ourselves. <laughs> that sounds like a Saturday job. You probably get down to like 20, right? I mean, the labor's got to be killing you up there. The workman's guys, You know, work, your workman's comp doesn't cover the principles of the company. No. So we're if we're up on ladders there, it's not even a fact our rate no we're fine <laughs> that's pretty it's funny the entrepreneurial spirit there uh so wes is coming in for this second hour and um maybe not everyone knows wes this is oh. a new newish hour still so the uh, new hour well hey let me tell you about my friend wes 
if he's driving right now, he's probably like just <laughs> clinching. Wondering what I'm gonna say. You know what you say? He may turn around and go <laughs> yeah, back home. Very possible. <laughs> um, I've known Wes for years, and I got to know him through a mutual friend uh, in a business sense first. And um, I'll tell you guys a funny story um, that I think is kind of telling about the kind of guy this guy is. Um, I was working in a real estate transaction with some buyers that were first-time home buyers. They were young, engaged, excited. Um, they were working with a real estate agent. And basically what happened was like the day of funding, this gal lost her job. And she had already signed off her loan contingencies and was in a position where they were going to lose 5,000 bucks. And 5,000 bucks to these guys was almost all the money in the world. Um, they were, like I said, they were engaged to be married and they were trying to buy a house and they were, you know, planning a wedding and paying for that all at the same time. And so as it came down to it, their 5,000 bucks was at risk. And so I called the real estate agent to say, Hey, you know, it's not very common that these deposits are taken. And, um, she just, she was so bitter. The transaction blew up on her and she had lost her commission that I'm sure she had already spent in her head. She thought it was to close tomorrow and was just reeling um, for frustration of how much time she'd put in for these flaky people now that just lost her all of her income. And it was clear she was to be no help at all. And so I called Wes and I said, man, I hate to do this to you, but these guys really need help they need a real estate agent to, to represent them and help. This contract was really one-sided and it just wasn't fair and they need somebody smart that cares to help them. And he took them on and um, found, ended up siding with me that they really did, even though they had some fault in it, that they really deserved that $5,000 refund and Wes was able to get it for them. Nothing to gain there besides just helping people with his knowledge of real estate. They weren't even his clients to begin with. Nope. Wow. And it was and and honestly that that's how that guy rolls. He's he's the real deal when it comes to doing right by people. And um yeah, so there you go. There's a little background on the guests we're gonna have for the next hour. So we're gonna do this uh top of the hour commercial break. We'll be back in a few minutes for another hour of mortgage matters. All right, guys, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. It's 10.05. This used to be start time. Now this is the second hour. So those of you that are just tuning in, uh, you missed the first hour, and that was where the good stuff was. Um, just kidding. Thanks a lot. Hey, that's Wes. We got Wes to come in today. Um, kind of, I mean, it was kind of up in the air about whether or not you're even a show today. As much as I love being here, I'm kind of disappointed <laughs> to be here, to be very honest with you. Wow. The uh, alternative for me today was a fishing trip. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm i disappointed, too. I mean, maybe we should just shut it down and bail. Dan, are you disappointed to be here? No, I'm I'm really happy. I mean, I get to spend this next hour with both of you. Um, All right, well, both then of let's you guys. stay. I'm no longer disappointed. Yeah. Just and I'm elated that you guys are here because if you guys get to leave, I got a major issue. Then yeah, 
What do you do on the days like, where like something comes up and we end up doing a rerun? Uh, Panic. Uh, take a nap. <laughs> you know, I actually wind up um, hanging nap. out and making sure that everything's run right. Extra coffee I that make, day. You know, I, you know I, it's got to be. It's got to be flawless. Right. It's, me, it so. must be tough when there's no content for you to, to reference with your uh, with the music that you, I know. you know. I get bored with that. But yeah, anyway. it's a little something to no, do. I wound up having to. I wound up uh, finding stuff to do. So that's for sure. Um, okay, Mr. Burke. So I have a few questions. You guys fired me up a little bit in the first hour. That was a, a good hour of radio. It was news to me this gasoline tax, dude. What a wet blanket, huh? That's not what you wanted to wake up to today. Don't we already pay like 40% tax on gasoline? It's pretty high. I don't know that it's 40%. Um, but yeah, there's tax per gallon. And then California's got some over the top, which is why California's gas is usually higher than It's always like a states. dollar higher than that's any strange. other state. It's really expensive. And that's all tax, right? That's all environmental tax type stuff, which is why there's that huge difference well and i would imagine with somebody like wes he's going to see a kind of a, a pretty good impact because he's got to drive people around to show them houses and stuff like that and it's not gonna you know 68 cents is 68 cents it's a lot of tax yeah i i drove uh on wednesday i put 150 miles on my car and never left san luis obispo Just dude clocked over three hours in the car so it definitely it hurts i mean frankly four dollars a gallon hurts every time i fill up i I cringe. Oh man, I try. I I mean, I'm not as old as you are, clearly. But when I was in high school, I do remember. <laughs> I remember a day when I filled up my Volkswagen. Clearly, um, by the way. <laughs> in Big Bear, it, it was snowing, and there's a big distance between the pump and the um, register. And I brought a ten dollar bill inside, and I'm to fill up my VW. I wanted to fit the whole 10 bucks in there because I didn't want to have to stomp through the slush puddles back up to go collect like a buck 25, but I sure wasn't going to leave it. You know, I was like broke 16 year old. So I'm just milking it, trying to get it all in the tank. And now today it's like a hundred bucks, man. The, the thing for some reason, they just have stopped me because my credit card's like, yeah, we don't let some dude spend more than a hundred bucks in four minutes here. So you just got to stop. If you need more, you're going to have to swipe again and probably choose a different card. Um, but add 68 cents a gallon onto yeah. that. And you're talking about putting another at probably 12 to $14 um, for the average user on a tank of gas. I mean, it's going to be for dudes like Dan that drive a Toyota truck. You're going to be spending 120 bucks to fill that thing up. If you go online, I just found something. Uh, there's a Google thing. You can go online. You can Cal new California gas tax. You can uh, sign a petition to get that repealed. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a law that's passed. Yeah. Already? Schwarzenegger did it. And it's supposed to go into effect January first. That's another one of these little sneaky politician mm. jerks. Is they passed some bill eight freaking years ago, and then they're just gonna oh by the way, remember that thing was it gonna happen in 2015? And I was like, man, mm. I don't th I don't think I cared about that. And ought three now all of a sudden it's an issue for me uh, uh, mm -hmm. that's not fair it should have to be today you gotta you well i i just look, uh. looked up while we were chatting the the current um tax on gasoline is in california is 39.5 percent, and that's just the state tax I don't yeah there know. are federal taxes in addition to that i think the federal taxes are somewhere around like 24 cents for regular unleaded or something like that so all in, I mean, it, it dramatically increases the cost of 
gasoline to us. And it's, I mean, you're not going to be able to raise the price on real estate because you're putting too much money in the tank, hauling all these people around. But believe me, the farmers that are going to be bringing you the produce that you need, they are going to have to raise prices on um, the delivered good because it, it it's a for-profit enterprise. They're already as lean as they can be. It's going to be more expensive because of increased gas costs. When you're showing property to prospective buyers, Wes, do, does that conversation come up about distance from home to work? I mean, I, I've got to imagine it does. And, and the cost of gasoline, does that, does that conversation factor into people's decision-making when buying? Not, not as much as you'd think it would. I'm, I, I do think generally when people get to the point that they engage a realtor, they've already kind of had those thought processes and made decisions about where it would be acceptable for them to live based on commutes. So typically they come to us with those decisions made, but there's a really neat calculator online that we use that you can plug in your commute distance and the current gas rates, and it'll it'll kind of average your uh, monthly fuel costs. And it's uh, I, I plug it in often and, and show clients because it's really surprising. That I didn't... Um... I didn't know there was a fancy calculator for that, but I did some modeling about that when we bought our house in Atascadero, knowing that I work in San Luis, and um, it it equaled about $100,000 for me um, in affordability. Just what I spend on gas to live there is about 500 bucks a month, as much as I drive. And in doing so, looking at that, I was like, okay, well, that means I could add, if I lived in San Luis, I could add $100,000 to my purchase ability there, but it still didn't it didn't make the difference for me. I couldn't even for a hundred thousand dollars more, I couldn't get a comparable house. Um, it would I would have needed to spend about three hundred thousand dollars more. So I I mean I chose unfortunately that I was gonna have to spend more on transportation costs to to meet my housing objective. Yeah, and I think that's common and I think that's why these bedroom communities like Atascadero and uh, and the five cities, you know, the the market values there are, are pumped up because to some degree, but they, they lag behind San Luis Obispo. And I, I think that's part of the equation there. Yeah. Um, the, the, the conversation that you guys were having, you know, kind of dovetailed into interest rates as well. And I found that, that pretty in, interesting also. And I, you know, I, as much as I appreciate what you guys do, I, I don't think you would claim to be full fledged economists, but the, the challenge with in, interest rates that, that I just can't get my head around is all of the money that was created in, the corrective activities to to bring this economy around absolutely from a textbook standpoint should have caused runaway inflation and i am i just cannot get my head around why we don't have inflation and and perhaps why why we're actually having a, a lack of inflation it just doesn't, doesn't make any sense to me at all it, uh, you're not alone in that. I mean, we've had actual true economists on the show that say they're baffled by it. In fact, guys have lost an awful lot of money betting that inflation was right around the corner to hold those hedge positions for years on end now. It's been, um, you well, know. Well, I think the rubber meets the road when when it's time to repay. When The, the folks that we've had on, we've had a couple of, of different Cal Poly professors on from the economics um area there and they've said that the problem isn't the current state of affairs it's it's the future when we're going to repay these things and we have to borrow to repay the debt at higher interest rates and that's where you start to get into right. a, a, a pickle well 
this is what I think the sting, this is the sting that Americans are going to fill in a few years once we're sort of clear of this is that, um, you know, right, right now it's, it's close to like 60 cents on the dollar or something is being financed for what we've been doing in this economy. And when it is time to be making those interest payments back on these right now, they're all basically at zero. Borrowing money today is actually pretty brilliant. In fact, like you said earlier, Dan, we've had people that have come in and take money out of their house because they could get such a dirt cheap interest rate. I'm going to find something to do with that money. That's effectively what it means to be borrowing um, from the federal government right now and in the treasuries and bonds and everything that's going on. It, it's okay. That amount of money, it's fine. We're, it's getting, I mean, they're borrowing for 10 years for 2%. In some cases, it was less than that, or 30 years for three and a quarter percent. That's crazy. Yes, you should borrow at that. When it's time to make those payments back, you can't be debt financing anymore. You actually have to be like budget neutral, where you're paying that money back with actual dollars you possess, not fresh debt that you're taking on to service old debt. And so what that translates to me is that a few years down the road, we're all going to suffer a pretty good tax crunch where your your expense in this game is going to be creating enough tax revenue out of the whole system to meet those debt obligations without having to borrow to subsidize. And that's where the pain comes. That That's pain. And I, and I get that. And, and I, I do think that that'll be a reality that we're faced with. But backing this up um, to the point of inflation... The issue is that in, in order to bail this economy out, a lot of money was pumped into the banking system. And we have a fractional banking system, so for every $100 that is put into a bank, they can lend um, a multiplier of that, which creates money. Sure. So all, all of this money was created, a tremendous amount. I don't, I don't know the figure, but it was a huge amount of money was created by pumping money into the banking system. But look, though. Which should make the dollar worth less, i.e. inflation. Where Understood. is it? And I'll, and I'll give you like kind of an analogy that I think tells the story a little bit. Let's just say that me and my boys, you like three or four dudes, we walk into a Las Vegas casino and you're hanging out with the Fed, man. I'm handing you all thousands of dollars and you can step right up and bet it and you're going to lose it um, or you're going to win. Nobody actually really knows, but... When you're walking with the Fed and you've got that big backing and it doesn't actually hurt you, that to me is kind of inflation of, hey, let it rain, baby. Look at the money coming around. Spend it. Things are getting more expensive. Let's rock. This is a fun party. The reality is, is that what this economy did for the last seven years is it shook everybody's cage from the wealthiest to the poorest, uh, watching investments, watching the Dow, watching real estate, watching everything across the board drop to such a crazy low level. They were walking into the casino with the Fed, but everybody was going, uh, don't really want that money. Not ready to tank, still licking my wounds. That's, you know, I don't think that the money actually flowed through and pushed the way you wanted it to. What you ended up with at the end of this whole thing, I mean, we just figured out earlier in the show, dropped the stat that $8 trillion now the banks are holding on in debts. Um, ooh, what's the, what right now, um, the Fed's balance sheet on mortgage-backed securities, where are we at there? It's got to be 
I mean, just the straight math on what they initially laid out was one and a quarter trillion, and that was just QE2. And so QE3 has been 85 billion now for two, I would say, if you wanted to do the math at 85 billion, let's just call it two years. So let's call it five trillion dollars. Five trillion bucks. <laughs> um, of the twenty trillion dollars that's been pushed around, we we can account for quite a bit of it. And the banks that were too big to fail got too bigger to fail. Um, the money didn't flood through the way that it's supposed to. The low interest rates went to the people that were already able to qualify in a good spot before it happened. I want to interject here because I, I think the, the point that you're making, Wes, about dollar value, I, I think that that component is a it's a relative thing. And when you look at, you know, what what's the dollar compared to the yen, you know, the, the euro, the whatever, look at all those different regions. How are they performing currently? What are they doing? Are they pumping money into their economic systems? Are they cutting interest rates? Yeah, they're doing all the same practices that we're doing. And so that so when relatively speaking, we're all kind of in the same boat. And that's why you're not seeing runaway inflation. If one of those other areas, if, if Europe was just booming, if, if Japan was booming, if China was booming right now, um, you would you would, I think, see a, a different story going on with the inflation picture. But all those economies are kind of pulling back. I don't, so I, I understand what you're saying, but it, it does it still doesn't jive with me. I mean, what what really should define the value of a dollar is what it takes to buy a product in in the United States. And if there's, you know, twenty five percent increase in the uh, in the number of available dollars, it should take about twenty five percent more to go down to the corner furniture store and buy your couch. And that's not happening. You mean that couch that was produced overseas? <laughs> okay, good point. I, I really think that's what it has to do with. I think it has to do with with looking at the other economies in, in the world and, and how are they performing. And we're all kind of not doing so great. We're all going to these extreme measures to to keep, you know, to right the ships. And, and so that's why you're not seeing one um, one country having outrageous inflation over another. And we're all just kind of doing the same thing. And, and it makes us all look like there really isn't an inflation problem. Well, it's it's still it's baffling to me. I, I understand. It is. What you're it, saying, it's but. a complex problem, and I I think we're dumbing it down probably beyond what it should be. You guys are not only dumbing it down; you're boring the socks <laughs> off of me. Um, I don't fret things that I can't control, and so when I when I get into like that inflation thing, I know what all the textbooks say, and there people a lot smarter than me are scratching their heads right now. Um, I don't know. I don't care. Uh, I'll tell you the couple of things about that, though. Um, interest rates themselves are crazy low. So whether or not your uh, carton of ice cream got smaller and more expensive in the last five years, uh, interest rates are crazy low. And that's where your big opportunity to save is. And so I just, while you're busy talking about inflation, I just want everybody to call and refinance. That's all, I, that's all I'm really thinking. Lock in your own good low interest rates. So you can be paying back the low rate debt of yesterday at that inflated better dollar of tomorrow well thanks for bringing us back to real estate <laughs> i mean we should talk about something local that we actually are expert in yeah you done wasted 22 minutes right there so we're <laughs> going to take a commercial break when we get back uh there's a handful of things that i, I want to talk about and uh some of them are local stick around for more mortgage matters don't go anywhere keep it locked to mortgage matters on kvec news talk 920 
to ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. We recently made the jump to direct lender. That's right. Now we can do your loan in-house, but we still broker too. We choose based on getting the best loan terms for you. We don't know what to call it yet, but you'll call it amazing. Refi or refinance a home. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. Seems everything I buy these days has got a foreign name. I'm the kind of car I drive to my video game. I got a Nikon camera, <laughs> a Sony color TV. But uh, the one that I love is from the USA, it's standing next to me. You guys have the best engineer in the world. <laughs> He's, he's pretty good. I don't know if I'd say in the world. Thank I mean, I have pretty you. limited experience <laughs> with engineers. It's like my only one. Jim was my first, and <laughs> obviously you're always a little fond of your first. Well, there thanks you go. for okay. making it <laughs> awful. About that. Appreciate <laughs> that. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, great reminder here for everybody. Um, the importance of buying local, banking local, working with local businesses, that that is pretty big. We were having a good laugh during the break about that dude that uh, opened the first produced uh, or first procured iPhone 6 and opens the box and drops it immediately to the concrete. Um, uh, that's entertaining. If you haven't seen the video, you might want to watch it. Uh, and, and for the record, I'm pretty sure the thing doesn't break. He's he's like, it's fine, but his voice is kind of like he might be trying to 
hope before he knows for sure. I don't really know. Uh, anyway. So, Jason, you, you had an interesting question for me uh, a day or so ago about yeah. the real estate market. You know, we were visiting, and you, you said that uh, multiple occasions recently you were in conversation with clients who, who told you that the real estate market was plummeting. Yeah. Uh, in particular, there's one, there's one couple here that um, – seems to bring it up to me more regular than the others <laughs> the um that jim's playing the video now and it's it's oh the back oh there it goes very funny all right so basically yeah these guys are in a position where they came in to see me to get pre-qualified and um they had actually done a pretty great amount of work themselves um, educated well on like the ins and outs of USDA and also just internet searches and a lot of stuff they gleaned from our website, but uh, pretty well educated to the topic, even so much as like calculating debt to income ratio and excluding out payments. And um, I made I made a comment about a deferred student loan could be excluded from a debt to income ratio. And she said, oh, yeah, but only if it's deferred for more than 12 months. Right. I mean, people were like pretty dialed into um, the deal. But anyway, I crunched all their numbers and they couldn't really afford for the house the, the, they couldn't qualify the house that they wanted. It was just beyond affordability because of debt to income ratio. So I say, Hey, look, you got to pay off these credit cards, get rid of that car payment. Um, and when you do that, come on back and you can qualify for the house you want. Most of the time when I tell people to pay off their credit card and get rid of their $580 a month car payment, they're like, Oh yeah, we'll call you back. And then I don't, they don't usually resurface because people are addicted to their, you know, status car and, whatever these guys called back like two weeks later and said all right we paid off the credit cards and sold the car I'm like wow all right now you're talking so so well how long does dave, it they're take? listening to dave ramsey on kvec right <laughs> said how long does it? that's obvious yeah they, i got it they gotta be Get how long does that. it take right. before the credit report will reflect the new credit balances on the car having been paid off and i said well you know in general it takes 30 to 60 days and they said okay well that's good while that cycles We'll get um, you know tuned into the real estate uh, market and see what you know is happening, and so now we're in that sixty-day wait where they're basically going through waiting for everything to kind of catch up and report correctly, and now suddenly monitoring the market over the last sixty days has them claiming that Tascadero is their target market now, uh, and the claim now is that the value of real estate in Tascadero is plummeting. Price per square foot on listings is falling like crazy. And so now they don't want to catch a falling knife. They're going to uh, wait and see what happens. Well, I, I think this speaks to the power of getting a professional involved because I, I'm not sure what led to that perception, but it, it really doesn't. When I questioned reality. them, they said price cuts. Houses that they'd seen on the market were going under price cut, price cut, still not selling. And, and to them, they were translating that into meaning there's a – Lack of confidence in the market that nobody's stepping out to buy these and the sellers are chasing the market down. Yeah, that's that's um, not the right way to base a perception on the direction of a market. And specifically, the, the problem is in any market, regardless of the level of inventory and whether it's a buyer's or seller's market, there will be inventory that hits the market overpriced. The sellers just are over-optimistic too often, and agents are uh, either unwilling or incapable of 
providing the counsel necessary to help them price accurately. So, th so there will be listings that sit out there at too high a price, and ultimately, if the sellers are truly motivated to sell, there will be price reductions until they find the market. But in, in trying to answer this from a more professional standpoint, I pulled up some of the stats that we have access to, and, and I did find some surprise in the numbers. Um, for example, from June to, to July, in Atascadero specifically, there was a decrease in the average price, both of listing um, prices as well as sold prices. And it, it, um, it, it was interesting to see that, and, and the metric is a graph over the course of the last year, and there are several segments in the graph where the, the lines are in a downward trend. But they tend to only last for a one-month period, and ultimately the um, the increase goes up and creates a, a new high on the graph. Now, so, is that be a low volume period where it's a couple of houses that are selling for under the square foot of the norm, or is it that is that not the way to explain it away? I, I think that that's probably part of the equation. You know, all of our markets when you break them out into individual. Um, segments like Atascadero, for example, there's just not enough. There's not the there's not enough transactions on a monthly basis to eliminate these kind of false reads on the direction of the market. So it's not the same as like looking at Pasadena and Burbank and you know all these different communities in yeah, Los where, Angeles, where there's thousands of transactions <clears throat> and the anomalies then don't really have that much of an impact on the average or the median. And in, in Atascadero one or two cells at either extreme of the market can can skew the statistics for for a short period of time. So I think it's important to look at the big picture overall. Like for example, in Atascadero, the average um, the median that no the average sales price in August this year was five twenty nine. When you go back to August of last year, it was four eighty seven. Now there was a decrease, like I said, from June to July, from 540 down to 505. But it rebounded in August from 505 back to 529, and appears to be heading in, a, in an upward direction currently as well. So, isn't there something to be said too for for the time of year, the seasonality trends? I mean, the... normally I would say yes to that, but I'm I'm looking at the graph right now, and it's just kind of a it, it's an up and down wave cycle that that. It is not. Um, it does not appear to be greatly influenced by seasonality of the marketplace. Hmm. There's just uh, there's just some ups and downs. It's it's not a steady increase. I mean, there are segments, four or five month segments, where you see a pretty steady increase, and then there'll be a dip, and then the increase begins again. So, um, but that's looking at everything month to month, whereas most real estate statistics are looked at year over year, and. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at a different chart here that was printed in the, the Tribune. You know, they, they come out with their slow county statistics for the for home sales and um, units sold and prices. And, and they're choppy as well. They're very choppy. But when you look at it year over year, you continue to see year over year price increases. Those are becoming more modest. Um, they're not 20% anymore. In fact, this August to August um, median home price rose only 3.5 percent. You know, 440,000 was the median price for the county in August, according to this data, um, and that was on less sales. You know, s sales are down 15 percent. So I, I think choppiness is is expected when you're looking at real estate statistics on a monthly basis. 
Yeah, and, and when you're looking at a smaller market segment like San Luis Obispo, even San Luis Obispo County versus the state or, or the direction. I'd be so curious with this couple to know, you know, the homes they're looking at where they're seeing price cuts. I, I feel like days on market has to be a component of that. Because like you said, so, there are homes that come on the market overpriced, and those are the ones that sit. But nationally, the average um, days on market is like 35 days. So when you see something that's 90, 120 days in a market where the average home is selling in 35 days, there's something wrong with the initial pricing of that home, or there's some functional obsolescence of the home that's just making it not a desirable home to own. And there, so you got to look at that. If you're seeing price drops on a home that's been listed for 15 days, I mean, then maybe there's a little concern. There, I think the the main part that they're seeing the drops in is the stuff that's around the um, the low 400s. And Tassadero is kind of funny like that. Their starter home, like entry level, needs updating on everything, kind of run of the mill homes. You can find those around there in the 300s, and they're not plentiful, but crossing the $400,000 threshold starts to get you up into like a move up home up in there. And I think that ultimately that's the problem is that they're looking at that segment of market. Where, you know, in, in honestly, a $500,000 house isn't as marketable in a task that are going to sell quite as easy as a $340,000 house is. So if you bring a house to market for 500000 bucks, you know, it's a great, well-priced house in a good neighborhood. You probably could sell it the same day. But if you bring a $340,000 house that's a good shape, good price in a good neighborhood, you are going to sell it the same day. And it's that middle segment that's that's kind of been lagging behind the rest of the market. We've seen the boom in the, the low end, of course. That's the, the stuff that everybody wants because there's investment potential and as well as first-time homebuyer potential. And we've seen some of the higher-end homes really start to move more recently, but that middle segment has been the lagger. Yesterday, I saw a price drop, right? Wes, you and I had talked about this earlier in the day. Um, I saw a, site, a price drop on a house over there off of Edo, and I don't know if it's a Patterson listing or not. Probably is. I don't know. That's over um, by Los Osos Valley Road in Madonna. Yeah, nice little neighborhood over there. If that's your thing, I I don't know that I I wouldn't choose to live there personally, but I think it's a cool little slow neighborhood. Um, they had a price drop, and it was like. Um, you know, seven six ninety nine or something, and I just laughed and thought, "Oh, that's funny. That those houses are worth six eighty. <laughs> of course, there's a little price drop. They tried to overprice and are trying to like just fish above what they're gonna get over there. But I think that's the bigger thing is that every seller wants the maximum dollar, right? And then every buyer wants to feel like they get a deal. Um, so you're going to have some stuff that's overpriced and needs to be reduced to find the right price point in the market to sell. That's just common sense, right? Yeah, and the, so the point here is that that occurs in any market regardless of the general direction of the market. And to really get your head around what's going on, um, engage a professional because you're not going to find these stats just floating out there on Zillow and Trulia and, and all these other places that are – that are known to have data accuracy issues. But, you know, for example, I mean, and forgive me for the plug, but if you're working with a Patterson Realty agent, we're going to provide you with statistical tools that you can go and do this homework on your own and really button down what's going on, not only in the market in San Luis Obispo County, but in the micro market of the area where you're shopping. We provide all of our clients with monthly reports of sold activity in all of the areas in San Luis Obispo. We provide statistical search engines that are available over the internet 
Keith Bird uh, runs slowcountyhomes.com, which is the most used real estate resource on the Central Coast. And I, when I come to this show, I use those mechanisms to inform the conversation that we have here. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at his tools right now. We provide those tools to all of our clients. And you know, rather than let yourself be influenced by these little things that you see that may paint an inaccurate picture of what's really going on in the market, get the help of, of a professional. A as a buyer, it makes no sense not to. It doesn't cost you a penny to use a professional agent and you get so much more out of your experience and you'll be so much better informed and ready to make smart and good decisions. So can you, can you share with the listeners the, the chart you're looking at now? Cause I'm, I'm finding it pretty interesting. Yeah. So what I'm looking at now is on slowcountyhomes.com and I'm just looking at single family residences in slow County. I'm looking at the average price per square foot since 2001 on a, on a year over year basis. And it is interesting because you, you see the great decline from the peaks in 2007. You see a one, two, three, four, you know, basically a five-year decline um, through 2011. And then you see a steady increase in the price per square foot through 2014. And, and that's through where we are today in, in this marketplace. And that's San Luis Obispo County. Um, the tool is pretty slick because it allows you to, to pick whatever... Um, What's it look like for a Tascadero? Okay, let's go take a look. Atascadero. Just curious. And by the way, for Slow County, what I was seeing on that graph is price per square foot is now up to 2008 levels. Yeah, that's true. And and this almost the same can – well, actually, in the Tascadero, we're a, a little above 2008 levels um, or approaching the, the – Yeah, getting close to it. Yeah, you know, actually getting close to 2008 levels. Um, and again, we it, it reflects kind of what went on in the in the general market, but we're, we're seeing um, the increase didn't start as soon for a Tascadero as it did countywide. So from 2011 to 2012, it's kind of flat. Where in other areas in the counties, you started to to demonstrate the increase, but since 2012, a, a Tascadero has been on the increase, and the, this graph demonstrates that. Yeah, and you can maybe see that the the steepness isn't isn't there a, as much as it wasn't for the the county overall. So maybe a Tascadero isn't booming as much as other areas of the county but oh. it's still a, a, an obvious upward it sounds trend. like an investment opportunity then it's lagging behind <laughs> the general movement of the rest of the economy i'm partial to tascadero actually <laughs> I, lo I love living in tascadero i wondered if i would because i lived down you know in los osos for 10 years but um i really do love living up there i don't i don't love spending the gas that i spend to go up and down that hill every day but well, as, as I was coming down the grade today, you know, I live over the over the hill as well, and and um, you guys were talking about uh, politics and and such, and uh, I was doing you know my usual sixty eight miles an hour down the grade and got blown past by a beautiful Tesla. So they're out there, oh, man. Zero, yeah, zero emissions. How much do those cost, by the way? Well, I, I'm not sure, but when you add the fuel costs. Um, into the mix you know they're more affordable than you might think right how much is it to replace the battery when it blows up are, are you not a fan of the test i just i'm I, hearing I about like, some problems I and they're like not the they're not made for the general public i mean you know the, the ones that are like the fit and the well, right before the <laughs> tesla blew past me a prius blew past me and actually in the in the right hand lane which irritated me a little bit but 
nonetheless. There. Well, that means you what were in the What are you doing lane. in the fast lane going was, so slow? I was in the middle lane. <laughs> Unless you're passing, you belong in the farthest lane right. Ah, uh, one of those guys. Isn't it time for a commercial um, or something, Jim? It is. I believe so. So I'm a numbers guy, though. But we'll do this. <laughs> I just want you to know that um, sit down, though. Seriously, figure it out. The 60 miles per gallon that people are going to tell you they're getting in their um, Prius is BS. It proves, at least my experience with people that actually have them, is that it's closer to like 45 to 50 miles a gallon, depending on on conditions, right? The way you drive, all this kind of thing. Take and do your mileage of what would that fancy little European thing you got probably gets 22, 24 miles a gallon. What are you getting? I'm getting about 22. Okay. This ain't even motor mouths, but check it out. (laughs) If you could double your fuel efficiency by getting 44, okay, the low end of that, the Prius dealio, um, how much, how often do you fill up your gas tank? And in just normal circumstances, are you doing 500 bucks a month? Yeah, probably three. Okay. So we're going to have that by buying one of those fancy little Priuses. You're going to drop down to 150 a month. So over the whole course of the entire year, you're going to save 1500 bucks. Can you get yourself a Prius for 1500 bucks? And it, oh no, we need to make it up over six or eight years. Okay. Hopefully the batteries lasted that long. That's where you're going to find six to $8,000 in savings. The reality of it is, is that when you actually do the math on those cars, I think people are buying them for status and they're buying them because they have a genuine feeling inside that they want to lessen their carbon footprint and they, it means something to them to be doing that. It's not just because the fuel efficiency makes it so much better than the car that you're driving today. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just math, dude. Do some. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's a quarter to 11. Um, We got to do a commercial break. I do want to remind you guys, uh, sometimes I know interest wanes in the final 15 minutes of the show. After the show today, Jeff Bradley's coming in to do his hour spot. He is. Yeah. Well, it's actually, it's going to be half an hour for Oh, he's doing a half an hour spot, but, you know, we'll bring him along. There it is. Maybe he'll upgrade to an hour soon. Yeah, that's right, hopefully. Just having heard this, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so... Don't go anywhere. We're going to do a commercial break. Come back. We've got 15 more minutes with uh, Wes Burke. And then uh, bring in Jeff Bradley. So uh, stick around for more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state 
State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. All right, guys, welcome back. Um, I just want to say, I if you drive a Prius, I still love you. It doesn't matter to me. Um, I'm not trying to make you feel like you got to defend it. Steve texts me to tell me that um, he's getting 42 miles the gallon, and um, and it helps him feel less manly. So there you go. If you're if you are wrestling with like just walking around with like testosterone rage, I'm just too manly. Get a Prius and it can bring that down a little bit, and you can save some money at the pump. Wow! Thanks for the text, Steve. Yeah, all that handled in one just driving a Prius. Just. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I mean, and before too long, yeah. World hunger and everything. You know, that's just... 68 cents a gallon on tax, though. It's going to tell you a lot what. Prius. Tell you what, that's for sure. And those, like, even the math is based on a, a fixed cost of fuel. And so that's one thing about that is that it, it's going to get relatively more expensive for all. Um, Wes. Yes, sir. Since we're at this kind of this new hour, and I know it's not even the new hour anymore, but hopefully we like beg some listeners along that don't generally listen. Um, I did. I'd like for them to prove it by calling in. I <laughs> don't sound desperate. That never works. <laughs> I I did though. Um, I did kind of just wanted to hear. Uh, it's been a long time since it's been talked about on here, and and I feel a little bit um, remiss for not having done this earlier in the show i meant to but you sort of took the lead right out of the gate um but i wanted you to just talk a little bit about um patterson and maybe even about how you became to be owner of patterson but i feel like it's a there are a lot of great real estate companies in town but you guys are doing some pretty unique things and have a pretty impressive core group of people and um I just kind of wanted you to talk a little bit about that, about the company and its recent success. And and maybe um, you could even point out that you guys, I think, are changing the color of that god-awful, ugly building down there, right? Well, we're, we are repainting it. Oh, uh, same color? 
My bad. Close. It looks great, Wes. It's, I mean, it's, don't it's, change it's a not thing. Not quite the same color. We're we're going to something that I think will be slightly more palatable. From salmon to tomato bisque or something. Well, yeah, from tomato bisque to to more of an adobe. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's getting better. It's getting better. Yeah. The um. <laughs> No, see, I took us all the way off track. I didn't mean to do that. I'm glad you guys are painting it, though. That was one ugly color that's been on there. It you, stands you know out why? well. Do you know why it was painted that color? Because somebody lost a bet? Because the Architectural Review Committee in San Luis Obispo picked that color and forced us to paint the building that color. Awesome. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you can read this, the sentiment that I have in my voice about this, but I, I just think that's... Beautiful, beautiful that the government is choosing paint colors for us. I mean, what would we do without their wisdom? In little old San Luis Obispo, too. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. But on a happier note, you ask about the company, and I'm thrilled to talk about it for a minute because I'm really proud of it. I mean, I, I bought the company in, in 2007, and there were 12 agents. Very reputable. If, uh, Patterson Realty was, was founded in 1979 by, by locals, Tom Patterson and, and his wonderful bride, Paula Patterson, and they ran the company for a, a large number of years and were always a predominant player in San Luis Obispo, um, do a tremendous amount of business uh, in the Edna Valley and, and on the luxury end of the market. And, and you know, when I bought the company in, in 2007, it felt like a really good idea. Is perfectly the wrong time to buy a real estate company. Oh, it was the same time we started a mortgage company. Yeah, it's perfectly it's no, no the bigs. wrong time. But um, we, you know, we we sat down and we took a, a long, hard look at the industry, and there was a lot of things that were changing. The the internet had really changed the game. The consumers were interacting with agents in a very different way, and and we stepped back and really took a deep dive into uh, what we thought was the appropriate way to evolve with the business model, and and we have a collaborative model, which is not the norm in real estate. Um, we really leverage that capacity to collaborate to the benefit of our clients. The agents love it because it creates a, a, very, um, a very good working environment. And I, I think the story can be summed up by the growth that we've experienced since, since really 2010 when, when things uh, were kind of at the worst. A lot of real estate companies were merging or shutting their doors and and we uh, with you guys um, took a took a risk and and began to expand and we founded locations in Paso Robles and Morro Bay and Arroyo Grande and we've grown the company to to over 50 agents now we have almost no attrition which I think paints a, a bit of the picture for us but you know what I think what we're doing is serving the clients um, better than most of our competition and we take a lot of pride in that we um we have a very good reputation locally and we really really do care about servicing our clients and i, th I think that's what makes the difference so it's it's a local mentality it's a collaborative approach what do you mean by that collaborative approach well a, a, a good example has has to do with how we price houses so you know typically uh what happens is somebody wants to sell their house they call a few agents in those agents come in They've conducted a market analysis and they give the seller their opinion of value. But we think that there's power in, in diverse opinions. And so we'll, we'll put together a group of experts in that, in that micro market area. So for example, if it's a house in a Tascadero, since we're on a Tascadero today, we'll, we'll take our most productive agents in, in a Tascadero 
and we'll bring a, a group of five, six, seven, eight of those agents through a home, and we give them the comparatives for that property, and then we ask them to go independent of one another, um, submit a report, and the, and the report addresses the property strengths, the property weaknesses, critical marketing components, suggestions about how best to prepare the home for market, and ultimately renders an opinion of value based on how that agent would structure an offer in today's market if they were representing a buyer. And when you put together the opinions, the independent opinions of six or seven or eight professionals that are active in any given marketplace, it really starts to paint an accurate picture of, of market conditions. And it empowers a seller not only to make a wise decision about pricing, but it gives them some really good ideas about how best to prepare their home to to bring it to market, so it takes a lot of this. It takes a lot of stress out of the relationship between the agent and the seller because now there's there's not that traditional arm wrestling that's going on over price. Um, we just give the information to the to the seller, and, and our philosophy our philosophy is that we empower that the seller with really good, accurate local information that helps them make a wise decision about pricing and and. You know, frankly, we, we know, and I don't think all agents approach the business this way, that pricing a home is the seller's job. It's, it's not ours. Our job is to inform the seller so the decision will be a good one. And so that's an example of how we leverage the, the collaborative approach. Cool. Speechless. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> riveting. I can tell you guys are fascinating. I heard it so many times. I just I was checking email, and I just um, – yeah, I was like making sure I knew what time the baseball game was on and everything. You know, if if you want to know how we're doing, go go check out uh, go check us out on the internet. We have a tremendous number of testimonials. Each of the agents um, accumulates their own, and and we have uh, lots of feedback there. And you know, we've been around since 1979, and and we've grown from a company of 12 to over 50 agents, and and I think that says a lot about. Uh, our yeah, approach. you know, it's funny, I. I, um, a couple times people have told me how they refer me and I really appreciate it, um, to get that feedback. And so I was going to tell you here on the radio, how I refer you guys when I do is, um, first of all, I think there's some real value of working with a firm that's independently owned and, and is really just so carefully on top of what's happening in the local market and not distracted by any bigger picture things than that. Um, the size of your agency um, really does present a, a would-be buyer um, and a would-be seller some unique opportunity that, like when you're talking about that collaborative approach, one of the fringe benefits of that is that these real estate agents that are getting to go through to preview this home to provide an opinion, they're at the same time are getting an opportunity to preview a home to be able to give really sound um, advanced advice to their prospective buyers about something that's not yet on the open market. And um, so that just the, the benefit of the size and then also just the, the, the way the company shares information uh, within and, and also, of course, the integrity and, and honesty. Well, the part you missed, Wes, when you were driving and I shared with everyone um, a story, a very, one of the first business dealings I ever had with you was getting you to help, um, save the earnest money deposit some clients gave that, um, had nothing to do with you and you stepped in and did it on their behalf. And to me, that just, uh, speaks volumes, the kind of guy you are and the kind of company that you run. And, uh, 
So yeah, I I and I I'm not one to uh, just fluff up things that I don't believe in, but I really do like what you guys got going on. Um, well, yeah. thanks. I, I appreciate that a lot, and I and I appreciate the chance to put it out there over the the airwaves. Yeah, I mean, if you save just one life today, it'll all be worth it. Um, all right, guys, we're running out of time here. I I do want to just share with you though, um, we didn't talk a whole heck of a lot about loans today. Um, fret not we'll get we'll get back to that next week um, but i do want to just let you know that if you got any questions at all um, i'd love to hear from you this week I'd, I'd i love helping with scenarios this week i took a call from a close personal friend of mine that got a 15-year loan um, has 13 years to go and asked me if there was any opportunity to shorten that term and or lower the payment and we figured out how to do a 10-year loan for him and save him 100 bucks a month so um, getting out of a few years worth of mortgage payments, there's creative things. You're not always getting a fresh 30 year loan. Um, so if you want that expert advice, reach out to us. You can find us on the web at centralcoastlending.com. All the resources are there, including an opportunity for you to just apply today. You can do that today. We'll work on it. Um, as soon as we get it. Otherwise, give us a call, 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. We'll be back next week with more Mortgage Matters. Wes, thanks for being here. Adios. Have a great week.